0: We know that specifically in South Africa, the population is so diverse. We have rural and urban populations. We have uh, different demographics, different races. So if you want to be sure to be speaking of South Africans, it takes a lot of legwork.
1: For the first time I think we're doing research that matters to black people but in a not so obvious way. So most people will go out and do studies on how many hungry people are there and this is what we need, this is how much we need to make sure we feed this amount of people over this period of time. And Kaya does it in such a subtle way where you don't even realise the small incremental changes that they are trying to make. The lack of
0: census data in countries or the lack of recent census data and in some cases, uh, in the case of Nigeria, um, where there are also big question marks about their census data. So um, everything is based on that. If you don't know um, the demographics of your population, all other surveys, like for instance unemployment surveys, uh, would be compromised.
1: You could be CASI-certified Afropolitan where you grew up in Soweto, you've lived there your whole life, but it doesn't mean you're not globally aligned.
2: Sample size. It should be as big as possible to get accurate results. Some diehards will say. Let's face it, you'd have to be seriously out of the loop if you haven't noticed how our lives get scrutinized, counted and contextualized all the time by the corporate machine. Your online life is the best example where every click, every search, every fill of a survey and every poll that you do forms part of some sort of research study. With or without your consent you are under a microscope big issue there. And as part of a collective, all of us are being dissected. The bigger we are, the better the lab results. And in our bigness, we form part of a sample size for researchers in whatever industry they lurk. To wrap up this obsession series, we look at the world of research and its biggest vice to date, the concept of a sample size. I'm Kachisom Nisi, and this is another episode of I Know What You're Thinking. To throw it all in the air, we visit Africa's leading fact-checking machine known as Africa Check. It's here that editor Anim van Weg and her team research claims made by public figures to test the veracity of their state. But first, she clears the air on why sample size is so important as a tool of representation.
0: Our very first step is to go to the person who made the claim and ask them for the data on which they based it. Um, so often, uh, well, if people respond and they send us a study, uh, we very carefully look at whether it was representative. We know that uh, specifically in South Africa, the population is so diverse. We have rural and urban populations, uh, different demographics, different races. So if you want to be sure to speaking of South Africans, it takes a lot of legwork. You have to go to the edges of Limpopo and uh, the Eastern Cape to really be sure to, to speak of South Africans as a group.
2: But sometimes researchers get it wrong and then botch the whole study by not paying attention to sample size, an all too common occurrence nowadays. Here's one of those chilling examples where the stakes were super high. I
0: know specifically of the example of South Africa's 2003 Demographic and Health Survey. There were problems with the fieldwork in KwaZulu Natal. And as a result, that whole study, which should be uh, such an important component of health policy and health data, was basically there, there are large question marks um, about it.
2: Yes, research work within the continent comes with plenty of challenges. Problematic on one hand is who's doing the research and with what agenda. And on the other hand, it's the actual exercise of gathering data.
0: One of the biggest challenges for Africa Check in doing our research is the lack of census data in countries or the lack of recent census data and in some cases uh, in the case of Nigeria um, where there are also big question marks about their census data so um, everything is based on that if you don't know um, the demographic salvation all other surveys like for instance unemployment surveys uh, would be compromised or health surveys or you know um, school going statistics so those really pose a tra- challenge for us um, in in doing our work
2: okay let's warm it up a bit And by that, I mean, let's bring it home right here at Kaya FM. It's here where data is given a face, an attitude, and a life philosophy. We invite Ritume Tsempole, Mutaung Watsalele, a research maven who holds our hand through the data. But first, she tells us what wakes her up in the morning to come to this here place.
1: I've spent a lot of time doing academic-based research. So, research for universities, research to complete a qualification. And when I got to Kaya... I'd never seen research being done this way before. And for the first time, I think we're doing research that matters to black people, but in a not so obvious way. So most people will go out and do studies on how many hungry people are there and this is what we need. This is how much we need to make sure we feed this amount of people over this period of time. And Kaya does it in such a subtle way where you don't even realize the small incremental changes that they are trying to make. So it keeps me coming back because it's always something different every day. But nonetheless, it's always relevant and it's always important.
2: Then there's the much-loved and not-so-loved tag of Afropolitan. It receives praise as much as it does criticism, be it ideological or commercial. But one curious thing is for sure, there are plenty of bodies and minds that relate to the tag.
1: The with this Afropolitan market is the term existed before Kaya adopted it. And even then, in its essence, it was basically to describe people who found themselves overseas you know in New York but they're half Ghanaian half Finnish and trying to find your place in a place where technically you don't belong but there's a whole bunch of you so what does it mean to then be African in such a foreign place and so when you look at Kaya we don't target anyone outside of Africa I mean we're Gauteng based radio station so part of it was What does Afropolitan mean in Gauteng at a radio station? And so, you know, when we looked into the research and trying to define Afropolitan, we had come up with segments of it. And so the whole thing we agreed on was it was a mindset. It's not a type of person because most people seem to think that Afropolitan is closely linked to income and what kind of school you went to, what area you live in, and what part of our research was to show, no, you could be Kasi-certified Afropolitan where you grew up in Soweto, you've lived there your whole life, but it doesn't mean you're not globally aligned. You look at the likes of Thesis, and that's a perfect example of how one would assume that a brand that came out of a fish and chip store is narrow-minded. But he's one of the most globally aligned people, but he's kept his roots there. So the biggest challenge with Afropolitan itself was the definition. And how do you measure something that is such a broad term? And so we've had to create our own individual definitions and create key markings for it in terms of how we measure it, where we find them, how do we make the brand appeal to
2: these Afropolitans. Here, too, sample size becomes a consideration in the whole mix.
1: I'm such an advocate of sample sizes. I feel like anyone I've spoken to and I'm like the sample size. Research is a tricky thing. I always say research isn't a reflection of fact but it gives you an indication and provides some level of understanding. So you look at your sensors. Obviously, they don't capture every single household, but they have a huge sample size. So that's a very close indication. I mean, another example is the Broadcasting Research Council of South Africa. They're responsible for all the radio and television research. But when you look at the numbers, they rely on 30,000 households to reflect what is 56 million people? So that's what seven, when you look at a household, we're looking at maybe three people in a house. So 75,000 people are being used to measure radio listening and TV viewing, which is small, it's like 0.01%. 0. Like, 0. Literally. So when when I got to Kaya, I mean, I'm always saying the bigger the sample size, the better. It's interesting how five people will make a difference to a sample size and the findings. So if I were to do research at Kaya where there's 120 employees, it's very easy for me to get a sample size of 110 people, which is a very good reflection of what I'm trying to prove because you have the sample. But in reality, when we try to do that with Afropolitans outside of the building, where do you start? Because we're looking at mature. Sophisticated individuals that are deeply rooted in their tradition but globally aligned, that could be anyone. So, part of what we've done, apart from the fact that research is expensive, we've had to research smart. And I think that's something that has kept me here. We rely on the 15%. So, the adoption life cycle curve, you know that you have your innovators and your early adopters. So, when you add them together, that's the 15%. Part of what Kai has done is to rely only on the 15%. Because the problem is, Once it sits with the late majority and the laggards, nobody wants it anymore. So you don't want to be introducing a food market right now. It's been done. But part of what we do is we would have been speaking to the people who wanted to start food markets years ago so that we're ahead of the curve. The advantage with that is you rely on a lot, a smaller group of people to give you what you want. So, I mean, we have about 900,000 listeners, but our research, every single project, we've only ever relied on 100 to 200 people. And they have been specially selected and hunted down and recruited as key thought leaders in an industry or people who are basically in the circle of other people who are clued up. So we don't rely on a majority. Our sample size is very small. Like I said, 200 people for almost a million listeners. But it has its rewards. We haven't gotten it wrong. I mean, we, years ago, we did research into the whole wine industry and we found that, you know, there's this assumption that black people drink cheap wine. And so we looked into it. Is it that they're drinking cheap wine or is there, should we look into that a little bit more? And when we looked into it, we found that people want to drink wine. They're just afraid to ask and to be taught. And so we realized there's a real market and interest in wanting to learn wine, but a fear of sounding like you are stupid. And that's why wine and malt exists. It was curated deliberately so that when you get to a store or um, a wine connoisseur, you don't have to ask the questions. They give you an abundance of information. So if you're a newbie, it will be, wow, I didn't have to ask. If you know your wine, then great. You already knew it. But the whole point was, Ritmezi gets there and she gets told a whole bunch about wine. This is the kind of food you pair it with. This is how much it is. This is where you can buy it and you're like, wow, I didn't even have to ask. So we our sample size for other research is very important. When we do quantitative research, it becomes very important to have a big sample size. But for our own qualitative research, we've always relied on the
2: 15%. Ritume pole schooling us about how a mindset can result in quantifiable data. There you have it. As you go on with your life, actively know that you're always under a microscope. With that awareness, you can always challenge whatever little box that the research world puts you in. And as we wrap up this obsession series, we would like to thank all the eccentric, smart, and beautiful people that gave time to participate in our experiment. This has been I Know What You're Thinking with me, your ever so curious host, Kahi